It's the third Thursday of the month, and we're off the bricks and on the air. You're listening to a poetry podcast from Brick Street Poetry. Welcome to Off the Bricks, Poets and Poetry Lovers. This is Joyce Brinkman, and today we're celebrating National Indigenous Peoples Month with our very special guest, Elise Passion. Elise is an enrolled member of the Osage Nation and is a poet's poet. By that, I mean she is fully invested in poetry. Besides being educated at Harvard with two degrees from Oxford, having published in places like The New Yorker and Poetry Magazine, she has also lent her talents to the advancement of poets and poetry as the former executive director of the Poetry Society of America and as an editor for the historically and educationally enriching anthologies, Poetry Speaks and Poetry Speaks to Children. And meaningful to today's theme, I must mention Native Voices, Indigenous American Poetry. Elise, I am so pleased that you are able to join us today. Thank you so much for having me, Joyce. I'm happy to be on the show. Well, I didn't mention any of your books in that introduction, Elise, but let's start by having you read a poem from one of them. Uh, Would you please read for us Oklahoma Home from your first full-length collection, Infidelities? Yes, I will. And I'll just give a little bit of a background on this poem. It's a poem that I wrote when I was a sophomore in college and I was studying with the poet Seamus Heaney. So I see this poem, it's always been sort of a touchstone poem for me. And it was included in my first full length collection, Infidelities. And the poem I wrote is an attempt to recreate and capture my mother's childhood home in Fairfax, Oklahoma. Oklahoma home. There was a wood pile fence that kept your garden from schoolyard, leaving open to sight the larkspur and lavender stretched boulevard, which skirted your house and the lattice work swing set. Running parallel to the street on its other side, a field bloomed full of asphodel. Your window looked over the meadow The wind through grass, like a seesaw, seemed to sound out the field, and you would repeat back, papa, papa, hushed as an owl. At times, you note the changes of the hour, the catch and call of quails beyond the trees, the pond shaded at four, a patch of bluestem grass where father's horses grazed. From the outside of the house, it was your window upstairs where white curtains loose with air would blouse like sails. Evening was the time when all the sounds had quieted. Your father counted stars outside. A coin would rise, an Indian head, 
Elise, that was a wonderful poem for you to include in your first collection, I think, and a wonderful and extremely well-developed poem, poem for a <laughs> sophomore in college, too, I, I think. I know, I, know, I agree. I, yes. I kind of marvel at myself that I wrote it back then. That's wonderful. And it, it's, it's just so full of so much wonderful imagery, which I really love because I'm kind of a gardener and I'm also very fond of of, of wildflowers and and so many of those are also native to Indiana so I was very familiar with them uh, the asphodel I was not so I had to do a little research and and see that lovely flower um, that I had not that I was not aware of because if we have it around here I am not acquainted with that particular one but but what a wonderful picture of obviously a beautiful beautiful natural setting yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. Let's go on and explore some more of your family background. You mentioned that that poem and that house existed in Fairfax County. So let's read, you have a poem called, called Fairfax. And if you would, why don't you read that one for us? I'll just give you a little bit of background, which is that my mother was considered America's first prima ballerina, Maria Tallsheath. And my mother is no longer with us, but her father was full-fledged Osage. And her mother, Ruth Tallchief, was Scots-Irish. And my mother was born in the small town of Fairfax, Oklahoma, on the Osage Reservation. It's a, a small town northwest, just a little bit of Tulsa in Oklahoma. And it's just so beautiful there. And when I was a child growing up until my grandmother passed away, we would go visit my grandmother every year in Fairfax. So it's one of those places that I return to, as you know, again and again in my poems. And it, it really resonates, this landscape, the history, the background, you know, really touches me as a writer. My new book, which I, this, new po this new poem, so we're going from like one of my oldest poems to one of my very new poems. My new manuscript is called Heritage of the Blood Wolf Moon. Oh, I love that title too. I have to tell you, at least I love that title. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I am writing, I have been writing a long poem sequence inspired by my Osage heritage and inspired by Fairfax, inspired by the Tall Chief family, especially the Tall Chief women in the family. And I am now, I'm about 13 poems into this new manuscript. And I think that that kind of wraps it up. So this poem is number six in the manuscript. And right now we see the speaker returning to the town of Fairfax. In reality, I wrote this a couple of years ago. I had a new anthology out called The Eloquent Poem. And I was in uh, Tulsa at Magic City Books giving a reading with Joy Harjo and other poets in the anthology. And as I do, whenever I go back to Oklahoma, I went back up to Fairfax to visit our family still owns land in Fairfax, and our family has owned this house where my mother grew up and my aunt Margie, Marjorie Tallchief Skabine, who also was a well-known prima ballerina in Europe. This is the place where the girls were born and raised. And we are now in the process of donating the family's house 
to the Osage Nation with the hope that one day they will turn it into a cultural center for um, Osage families to come and enjoy, you know, this beautiful building and surroundings. Sounds so, wonderful. Yes, <laughs> a work in progress. The the hope that we can turn the family home into some place that everyone can enjoy. Okay, it's number six, and you know, tenant sort of working title Fairfax, but right now in the manuscript, it's Roman numeral number six. Because of their last name, the sisters believed they owned the town. Tall chief spelled out on the marquee, the gem of Fairfax built by their father. That theater, a shell, as long as I can recall, a shell emptied from inside without nacre or muscle. Ghosts of dressing rooms beneath the sweep of stage, the place where vaudevillians between the acts swapped out their costumes. Last spring's tornado tore up the town, now an abandoned movie set, businesses boarded up except the dollar store at the end of Maine. I step across the glass like cracked ice outside the blown out storefronts, the beams of the theater's roof, newly refurbished, blasted away. As if trying to rewrite an ending, we climb the hill to excavate the terracotta house, my mother's childhood home. Well, thank you for that. Again, it, it's really interesting how we all seem to connect to what we see as a home, our past. And the fact that you have this with your family, the whole uh, tall chief ancestry, and that you can come back to it in, in this way and make this beautiful poetry. It's just a, a, a very great thing, Elise. But I would love to have you read Osage Beetle. The poem Osage Beetle is part of my long poem and it is titled number seven. <laughs> so it follows number six that I just read. Seven. My mother's childhood home, where the driveway is overgrown with weeds, surrounded by upstart trees, sycamores and oaks, tunneling uphill toward the brick edifice. A carrion beetle, bright orange and black, scuttles across the path. The endangered burying beetle digs a grave, mummifies its prey, the voles and snakes, then returns to the tomb to mate and raise its young. If discovered on a construction site in Oklahoma, all drilling terminates. A shred of white curtain in an upstairs window. I imagine my grandmother still alive inside the ruined house. My grandmother's fudge pools on the wooden kitchen table downstairs. In the basement, a rattler twines inside the dryer. Outside, I cut cattle on quarter horses, 
pressing my 12-year-old knees into leather, swerving in sync with the herd. Riding back to the barn, the horse is spooked. A garter snake ripples beneath a plot of leaves. I just have to tell you two things I like about this poem, in particular with the reading that we've just done uh, of your poems, is that I see those white curtains coming from that poem that you wrote when you were in college to, and, and the setting that you remember as childhood to, to the setting that you know, you've, you've seen more recently. Uh, the, the white curtains have, have fluttered on in your mind, which is sort <laughs> yes. of interesting. And then the other thing, I'm sure there are, are lots of things in your ancestry's culture that, that you admire and respect. But I think the thing for me as an outsider, if you will, uh, that I respect so much about uh, Native American culture is, the, is their relationship and thoughtfulness and understanding of the natural world. Uh, they tend to see themselves within the natural world as opposed to outside the natural world that so many of the other cultures basically envision the human race as being outside the natural world. But in your poetry, I can see that the natural world is, is so much a part of your ancestry, uh, mm -hmm. which, which again is, is an approach to life that, that I greatly appreciate. Thank you so much. Thank you. And yes, I am haunted by those white curtains. <laughs> You've got that for sure. Yes. Well, I just, no, I just, no, it's a great tie in. It's a great tie in from the standpoint of your memory of it as mm -hmm. a child and then going back, you know, coming back years later and still seeing those curtains. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. A wonderful thread, <laughs> wonderful thread of connection, I think. Tell me about, you know, you are, you are very accomplished from the standpoint of knowing a lot of different forms, you know, and uh, being able to execute well in a lot of different forms. Some poets are one form or another, but I do see you as someone who really can execute poetry in almost any variety of forms extremely well. And I'm sort of interested in this long poem sequence, though. Just give me a few words about the long poem sequence, maybe a little bit about where that came from and how that works well in, in what you're working on right now, why that, why that makes sense for what you're working on. Okay, thank you so much. That's very kind of you, Joyce. Um, I, I, I just wanted to mention a, something before I answer your question. Thank you for noticing <laughs> that I write in various forms. Um, again, in college, I studied with Robert Fitzgerald and he taught a class called versification, where we um, basically went through the history of English literature and studied the various forms from Anglo-Saxon strong stress meters to iambic pentameters, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I, since college, really have been drawn to writing in forms. So, up until now with this new long poem, almost all of my poems are in some type of a form. And if it isn't a, a form like a Villanelle or a Sestina or Pantum, I'm always counting the syllables in my lines. So they're all very metrically driven. 
I've written some free verse poems, and I think I'll be reading one later today, the, the Wigia. But when I started writing this particular poem, I had been invited actually to the University of Missouri to celebrate Native American Heritage Month. And I started researching the history of the Osage in Missouri and discovered that the Osage, you know, my ancestors several hundred years ago lived on the Osage River near Missouri. And this kind of opened up this window for me. And I just started, and I think that visit reading, that was, I think, the fall of 2019, followed by, you know, going to Tulsa to do a reading for the eloquent poem. Those two visits and readings inspired this poem that just sort of landed, you know, just it's, it was one of those gifts that this poem just arose out of my being. And I see it as hanging in dense stanzas. So the, the stanzas are kind of spread across the page. It's a form I've never really worked with before. And then the principal structural element is that the last line of the first poem becomes the first line of the next poem. Okay, I so got that. it's kind that. of like okay. a bracelet, a bracelet mm -hmm. of poems. Mm -hmm. Okay, very interesting. And and I think that's, you know, again, it's interesting because, again, you're, you're very steeped in form, you understand it, and you can work it in lots of different ways. But you're also able then to actually create, create this, maybe recreate this form in a way, like you said, you, you, it sort of relates back, you think to your heritage and, and, and then you're, you're, you're willing to venture out to, to try something new. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on Fairfax as a poem? Well, you know, I think one other interesting fact is that this is kind of a long story, but I had a fellowship at the Newberry Library with the idea that I would write a poem about the Osage Reign of Terror. Yes. And this, this introduction will kind of lead into the next poem. So the Osage Reign of Terror took place in the early 1920s in this small town of Fairfax, Oklahoma. The Osages were considered one of the richest people in the world because of oil under their land. And as a result, white men came to the small town of Fairfax, married Osage women, and then killed them for their head rights. Um, so it is a part of Osage history that is horrendous. Up until recently, not very many people knew about this. And, you know, about 20 years ago, I had this fellowship and was hoping to write a prose book. Um, I have not yet written that prose book. I don't know if I will but I wrote this poem called Wigia. And then maybe around 2010, the writer David Grand contacted me and said that he was writing a book on the reign of terror. And, you know, could I help offer any assistance? And I introduced him to my Osage relatives. And I said to him, you know, I wanted to write a book, but I've written this poem. And I shared my poem with David Grand. David Grant wrote me back and he said, I've printed your poem out. It's sitting on my desk and it's helping me write my book. And the book eventually came out. It's a bestseller. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the line, you know, the title was taken from a line in my poem and the perspective in the book at the beginning is from Molly Burkhart whose 
family was being murdered during the reign of terror and she was the sole survivor. And Molly Burkhart is the speaker of my poem. So I think I really did help inspire David Grant. Um, meanwhile, Leonardo DiCaprio ended up purchasing the rights to produce the, to make the book into a movie. And Martin Scorsese, it has been filming in Pahaska, in Fairfax, the film version of Killers of the Flower Moon. And so why I'm going in this long preamble is that it is interesting, you know, with this town of Fairfax, that it really has been, you know, almost deserted, but I'm hoping that this new attention will be brought to this part of the country and that, you know, businesses will be restored. Um, Pahuska was really the hub. I actually went to visit um, Pahuska when the film was being filmed and Pahuska really was burgeoning and thriving. And I hope the same will happen for Fairfax, Oklahoma, which is the neighboring town. Well, you know, I'm aware of the book. I was aware of the book and I was also aware it was being made into a movie, but at least I was not, I did not know about the fact that this came from your poem. <laughs> I know it's all credit. But this is kind of, this is really kind of neat. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the mixing of the arts too. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You helped create this novel. You know, you gave him this inspiration for the novel. Well, and well his, his is a nonfiction. So, oh. so his book is yes 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 okay and I don't know yeah. what Scorsese I have a feeling Scorsese took his nonfiction book and he's now created obviously something genius yeah you know, yes Scorsese so we'll see yeah. how that transmutes yet again right but it, it is kind of how the different arts have kind of flow into one another and then also interesting to me is the whole dance background with your your uh, in your family, you know, from the standpoint of your mother and so forth. Uh, so arts kind of filled your life. It, it, yes, it, it's affected your life, and and you have <laughs> you've connected across the arts, really, which is a great thing. Okay, so the story of Anne Brown, and explain that title. So Wikia means prayer in Osage. Okay, so it's an Osage yeah. word. Okay, and the poem you. is spoken, as I said, by Molly Burkhart, whose sister, Anna Kyle Brown, was murdered during the Reign of Terror, 1921 through 1926. And I think that that's probably the right preamble before I read this poem. So the epigraph is Anna Kyle Brown, Osage, 1896 through 1921, Fairfax, Oklahoma, Wigia. Because she died where the ravine falls into water, because they dragged her down to the creek, in death she wore her blue broadcloth skirt. Though frost blanketed the grass, she cooled her feet in the spring. Because I turned the log with my foot, her slippers floated downstream into the dam because after the thaw, the hunters discovered her body. Because she lived without our mother, because she had inherited head rights for oil beneath the land, she was carrying his offspring. The sheriff 
disguised her death as whiskey poisoning because when he carved her body up, he saw the bullet hole in her skull because when she was murdered, the leg clutchers bloomed, but then froze under the weight of frost. During Zaga Ziga Setha, the killer of the flowers moon, I will wade across the river of the blackfish, the otter, the beaver. I will climb the bank where the willow never dies. And this was published in my book, Bestiary. You know, I think it's a good example how poetry can make us really see something and feel something that that is so tragic that if we just sort of got it as a headline in the news, we wouldn't feel the same way. You know, in that poem, you make Anne and her death so real to us, you know, mm -hmm. and, and her experience so real to us. That is certainly one of the, the beauties of, of poetry, I think. Now, I'd like you to read number 10 for us. Um, and just as a, a background, I want to say how ecstatic we all are in the poetry world that Joy Harjo was appointed Poet Laureate of the United States. And she's currently serving her third term as Poet Laureate. Um, her project as Poet Laureate was um, something she did in conjunction with the Library of Congress. And it's called Living Nations, Living Words. And she created a map of America. And you can go to Living Nations, Living Words, the Library of Congress, and click on. And you can see various poets around the country. Each poet reads a poem. And then they also um, write a little bit about the background behind the poem. So you can read the poem on the page. You can hear the poet reading the poem and learn some of the background. So this poem, number 10, was included in Joy Harjo's Living Nations website at the Library of Congress. 10. The year my mother was born in Fairfax, Oklahoma, white men were marrying Osage women and killing them for their head rights. My mother was born a year after the Indian Citizenship Act was passed. Indians tied to the US for or against their wills. Three years before her birth, her half-sister Baby Ruth's grave was dynamited with nitroglycerin by outlaws scavenging for diamonds and gold buried inside the casket. In the tall chief plot, I wander through family history, the marble monuments, angelic statues, measuring each step on grass, memorizing photographs. This one of a striking beauty, my great-grandmother, Eliza Big Heart Tallchief, 1870 to 1962, surviving her husband by 50 years. The widow, the adored grandmother of my mother, Eliza. Only now do I see my name, a permutation of hers. At home in Chicago, 
Every day I pass family photographs framed on walls. My great grandfather's oval sepia portrait of his boyish face replicated on the headstone. Instead of the young bride, here is Eliza, a tribal elder wrapped in a multicolored blanket standing outside her front porch, a photo taken after all those years she outlived him. Okay, Elise, would you just real quickly tell us where our listeners might be able to obtain your books? My last book um, is called The Nightlife, published by Red Hen Press, and that was published in 2017. And you should be able to order that book from any of your local bookstores. Um, one of my favorite, some of my favorite independent bookstores are Magic City Books in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and also Point Reyes Bookstore in Point Reyes, um, California. And um, I love Women and Children First here in Chicago. Um, of course, you can order it online, um, other places like Amazon, but I, I believe all of my books are available to be purchased. Aside from my very first book, which was a chapbook published in England called House's Coast, but I believe all the others are available. Well, that's great. Thank you again, Elise, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Joyce. Time to pause for a natural moment with a bit of poetry focusing on our non-human world. Today's natural moment poem comes from the anthology Haiku for Hikers. Today's haiku was written by Linda Neal Rising, who was born in Oklahoma into a family with Cherokee ancestry. Hawassi waters whisper Cherokee flute songs through weeping cedars. This program would not have been possible without the help of our creators and creatives. Our signature music is composed and performed by Iona Wagner. Generous supporters of Off the Bricks include the Arts Council of Indianapolis, the Lilly Endowment, and Indiana Humanities. We release new episodes of Off the Bricks on the third Thursday of each month, so keep an ear out for us. Thank you for joining us, poets and poetry lovers. Good poetry enriches our day and enlightens us about ourselves and the world. Join us again the third Thursday of the month as we bring you poetry off the bricks.